This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. I'm John Dankosky. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. Thanks so much for joining us. It's no secret that the pandemic has hit Connecticut's economy hard. It's also no secret that the COVID shutdown has hit the state's Black and Latino communities the hardest. Pre-COVID, there were some signs of life in Connecticut cities, especially in downtown areas, but those gains weren't always felt in the neighborhoods. City residents have been saying this to political leaders for decades, and still, little was being done. The Mirror's Tom Condon, a veteran reporter, has been exploring the different ways the state could make this recovery more inclusive. That means everything from transportation and infrastructure improvements to finding ways to get private investment into neighborhoods. The idea is called inclusive growth. And Tom's been charting how it's helped cities like Cleveland, Minneapolis, and Oakland. In a new series launching today in the Connecticut Mirror, Tom Condon considers how these ideas could be put to work here in Connecticut. Tom Condon, welcome to Steady Habits. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, John. Why don't you explain first what inclusive growth really means? Sure. Uh, Inclusive growth is a concept, an idea that economic growth or in our case presently, economic recovery, should benefit all members of a society, including those who have been historically ignored. It is economic growth that focuses as much on equity as on wealth accumulation. It it reaches out to all segments of the society. So that's the idea. Before the pandemic, what we now call pre-COVID, I guess, a lot of cities were coming back. I mean, you could go to downtown Hartford, new housing, and, you know, and just a a lot of a new baseball stadium, downtown New Haven, all kinds of new stuff. But those cities still had struggling neighborhoods. I mean, if you walk north from downtown Hartford, you got to Clay Hill, which is still struggling. So the idea of inclusive growth is to find ways to bring that struggling neighborhood and connect it to the prosperity that was going on downtown. Now, Obviously, the, um, the economic downturn during the pandemic has thrown a bit of a wrench into this, but we have to believe that we're going to come back. So the focus, again, will be more on inclusive recovery, but the idea is the same. I want to get more to the impact of COVID on cities and other places that are trying to recover in just a moment. But one thing I find really interesting, Tom, and you and I have both been covering these issues for a very long time, the the idea that you have to have terminology or maybe a different set of principles called inclusive growth, as opposed to just saying that this is the way we're supposed to grow in the first place. The idea that we would have ever thought it's okay to bring a, a, a downtown area back, but not bring the neighborhoods back. You know, in, in an ideal world, uh, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't need such things. But it, it is it is just a way of focusing on what is a really really hard problem, and it's a it's just a way of bringing attention to it. Yeah, I mean, sure, we'd like uh, you know the rising tide to float all boats, and uh, you know it's it's not a magic pill or anything. It's an idea that reminds policymakers that hey, there are people out there that 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 really aren't engaged, and you need to pay attention to them. And of course, you mentioned that that this pandemic has pointed out ways in which the way we were doing business in cities across America, not just in Connecticut, wasn't working for a whole lot of people. And now those disparities are showing up even more. What did you find as you were reporting out the series about the impact of COVID on some of the communities that need to recover? A very telling statistic. As of July, 
41% of Black-owned businesses had failed, and that vastly higher than, than white-owned businesses. Why is that? Well, one reason is that a lot of them were undercapitalized to begin with. People are forced to start businesses on a shoestring, you know, and so the, when there was a downturn, they were vulnerable. How do you address that? Well, let, let's get some strength in starting minority-owned businesses and sustaining them. You know, see where the contracts are going. Um, you know, see how see how uh, see whether banks are supporting them. So th- that was very telling uh, and, and very disturbing. People in the in the challenged neighborhoods need to be able to start businesses there and hire people there because that's going to improve the economy, the local economy, and the broader economy. By the way. Well, and that's important. If these neighborhoods thrive, the entire economy of the city, the entire surrounding economy thrives as well. This isn't just trying to help pockets of people who have traditionally been underserved. It's really about helping everybody. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. Um, uh, One of the uh, economists at the Boston Fed put it very well, I thought, when he said, uh, he said, we're not talking about slices of the pie. We're talking about the pie getting bigger. <laughs> and, I, and, and that, that is really true. I mean, obviously, if, you know, I mean, Chris Dodd used to say the best uh, social program in the world is a job. And if there are more people working, there's less demand on, um, on municipal services. There is more spending power for the broader economy. Sure, the whole thing improves. So, yeah, we're not talking about... Um, Lower Albany Avenue. We're talking about Greater Hartford. We're not, you know, uh, we're not talking about the Hill. We're talking about Greater New Haven. So that, yeah, it helps the whole regional economy. And and regional economies are what drives really the country's economy. So as you started reporting this this project, now close to a year ago, an awful lot has changed. But yes. you you and other reporters from the Connecticut Mirror have been looking at different aspects of this type of inclusive recovery and looking at some of the solutions. What are some of the things you found? I mean, what, what are what are some of the ways in which people are targeting different segments and trying to make this happen? Here's what I think is a great example, and it, it, it comes from Cleveland. The uh, There is a worker-owned cooperative called the Evergreen Cooperative Laundry. It's a laundry business. The Cleveland Clinic hired it to do their laundry services, which, as you know, for a hospital is is pretty impressive. And that cooperative, it's worked beautifully. It now has 150 employees. Those, you know, that, that is how an anchor institution can engage the community to, to bring about inclusive growth. That's one way. Uh, engaging ex-offenders and getting them into jobs and whatever else they need. The great program in Bridgeport that run by Joe Carbone that has had great success in doing this because recidivism is a huge drag on people individually and on society and on the economy. Big, you know, that is uh, getting those people back. Uh, housing, affordable housing. A lot of the suburbs don't let it in. And I mean, one of the mistakes of the post-war housing projects is that they ended up putting all the poor people in the same place. And then as jobs left the cities, it, things just got worse. Infrastructure in cities, and we can talk about that, really important. Infrastructure is important. 
one of the things that COVID did was increase interest in open space, green space, cutting out, um, shutting down streets from, for cars, for bicyclists and pedestrians. So we were starting to rethink public space. And I think that's a healthy sign. Well, why don't we talk a bit about that? You, you have a piece coming up in the series about infrastructure improvements. And often sure. I think when people see infrastructure, they think about highways and bridges. They think about the, the big, hard infrastructure that costs billions of dollars and the state has clearly not spent enough money on over time. But that's not necessarily what you're talking here when you're talking about infrastructure changes. Right, right. No, we're talking about parks and parkways. Flood control is a project, a big project in Bridgeport that's being tied in with with new housing. They're getting rid of a decrepit old public housing project, building some building some new housing, putting in flood protection, um, a, a flood park to to drain off water from. They, they got clobbered in those two, you know those two storms, and uh, and they're, they're fixing that, but fixing a number of other things at the same time, enhancing the city. Uh, there's a neighborhood in Waterbury that it was interesting to me that on the south side of town, down by Route 9, uh, didn't have a park. There was no park in the neighborhood. And some neighborhood activists went and pushed the city, and they got, they got a, they got a, they built a small park, which, and, and parks are really enhanced the neighborhood. I mean, <laughs> you know, where's the highest price real estate in New York City? It's on Central Park West. Uh, there's, you know, there's a reason for that. Parks are vital. Parkways, I mean, we had, we saw a lot of cities around the country close roads to cars during the, you know, during the pandemic because, you know, gyms are closed. People needed to get out and walk, but they needed to stay apart from each other. Still do, by the way, and, and let's not forget. And, and this turned out to be incredibly popular. I mean, Oakland, California closed something like 75 miles of roads and streets um, and there were various others around the country. It wasn't as much done in Connecticut. There were, there were a few examples of it. And it, it, it was extremely popular. It got people out walking and riding and, uh, you know, and you know, bike riding can be dangerous if you're fighting traffic. These are the kind of things that we need to think about for infrastructure. And this kind of factors into transportation also. Um, to achieve inclusive growth, you need to get the people in urban neighborhoods to jobs. And, you know, the, the transportation system in Connecticut has been highway oriented, you know, since the 1950s, really. And, uh, you know, efforts have been made to get a more balanced system but we still need to keep moving. There needs to be, I, I think, there needs to be a very comprehensive and effective bus system to get people in the cities to jobs, whether the jobs are in the city or in the suburbs. And, and that, is, that is a huge step. I remember I was talking to Mayor Bronin, uh, said, you know, all right, coming out of the pandemic, what's the first thing you want? And he said, a better transportation system. Mm. So I mean, we now have, we have we have rail service between Hartford, New Haven, and Springfield, which is terrific. And I was patronizing semi regularly a bus rapid transit system between New Britain and Hartford. That is terrific. But we need you can't we don't have enough laurels to rest on. This has got to keep moving mm -hmm. uh, because and also for climate change. You know, I mean, look, the, the transportation sector is is causing about forty percent of greenhouse gas emissions got to be cut back. You know, um, electric cars will help, but so will mass transit, 
when it becomes safe again. You, you mentioned before, and you've also written about opportunity zones. This is a, a type of federal tax incentive that would draw private investment to neighborhoods that are in need. It's been in a lot, lot of ways, Tom, a very controversial idea, in part sure because has. people have said the, the money's being misused. It's, it's actually not falling into the right hands. Are opportunity zones working anywhere in Connecticut that you found? Yes, but first of all, first of all, I, I give you the wise words of Congressman Jim Hines, <laughs> Hines who said um, it is a program in dire need of tweak, tweaking. Tweaking, yes. <laughs> I think that's a <laughs> kind way of saying tweak. it. Yeah, it's it, it's an odd thing because um, my hometown of New London, for example, has three projects and a couple more in the in the pipeline that are that are good projects that are one, one of them is uh, 200 units of market rate housing and uh, you know which is very important to geographically small city you know you need to build up um another one was a self-storage building which is you know, it doesn't produce a lot of jobs but it produces property tax and it was on an unused piece of industrial land another small project in downtown small projects are good because they can turn a street around so yeah, that works. Now the program, you're right. You're right. The program has been tremendously controversial because politics uh, have gotten involved in it in a lot of states. I mean, uh, you know, Governor of Florida designated an uh, area around a yacht club to be a, an opportunity zone, you know, an opportunity to make a killing, and um, that, that, you know, things like that have happened where where there've been investments in. Uh, uh, you know, luxury hotels and, and you know stuff, uh, which is which is not the point of the program. So it it needs the program needs to be tweaked, but at the same time, it's it can be used effectively. Connecticut played it pretty straight. I mean, most of the seventy uh, odd opportunity zones in twenty seven cities, and uh, most of them are where you would expect them. Uh, you know, Hartford has ten, for example. But there are some legislative proposals in Washington to straighten it out, to get the um, get the excesses out of it, if you will. So we'll see. I hope so. I, you know, because um, getting private investment, getting the private sector involved in in inclusive growth is essential. Whether it's opportunity zones or a lot of the types of investments we've been talking about. We're, we're mostly talking about Connecticut cities, urban areas, some more distressed communities. But you also write in the series, Tom, about something that you and I have been talking about for a very long time. And I know it's one of your big bugaboos about yeah. whether or not regionalism, some sort of regional activity, is a way to foster more of this type of inclusive growth. What did you find when you were talking about that? Because there's such a resistance in Connecticut on, on many fronts toward regionalism. What are people saying about it right now? Not much. Um, but um, uh, just to <clears throat> borrow from Mayor Brennan again, when, when he um, he did it, when he was first elected this what, five years ago, he went on a tour of the suburbs and saying, hey, you need us. We're the, you know, we're, we're the, we're the core city. You need us. We need you. Let's work together. And and his um, his plea went was politely received and largely ignored. And um, he left that. And he said he said Connecticut's going to embrace regionalism when there are no other <laughs> options left. Well, I'm curious. Uh, question: Are we at that point? And what I would like to see somebody do a study: Can we save money 
by having regional services. We don't have to get rid of the towns, but but the towns don't have to. I mean, do we need you know ninety four police forces and then a hundred? Do we need one hundred and sixty nine towns? Uh, you know, we could get by with you know five. You know, so we had you know we have this tremendously fractionalized um, polity here, and um, you know, would it make sense to think about organizing it differently? And, and, and that's also true. The, the state is also fractionalized. You know, state agencies have different service areas. People, you know, people sometimes, you know, when you bring up the idea of counties, people will say, well, that's another layer of government. But actually it isn't. A, a county is a subsection of the state. And so would it make sense? Well, Connecticut once had eight counties, and then they were, they were done away with in 1960. So, and at the time thought to be no longer relevant. In, in some in some respects they weren't. In some respects they might have been if they'd been used as taxing districts or something. You know, if they were thought about differently. But if you could organize state and municipal services at a county level, metro government doesn't have to. You don't have to call it a county, but some kind of metro government. Would that be more efficient? Would it save money? So we want to raise the question. You know, we we have councils of government. One way to achieve some kind of regional presence would be to let the councils of government, which are just, they are groups of elected officials, uh, let them borrow money for an economic development project. But I, a question I have about that, though, is it, through the lens of inclusive growth and trying to find ways to funnel more resources to some of the more struggling communities in any region, how does how does more regional government get at that. I mean, I, I can imagine uh, a county-wide government that includes more suburban towns, and I could still see these struggling neighborhoods in these wider regions still struggling under that system as much as they are under the current system. Yeah, I mean, uh, all right. Let me let me offer two ways and 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 some examples. One one. If there were a regional government, Hartford would not have to pay the highest property tax, highest commercial property tax in the region, which would give people a bit of a break. There would be more money in their pocket. Um, that, um, secondly, and the opportunity that's really missed here, I think, is that there would be a chance for regional economic development. There is, there, there is none. I mean, and that is the that is the key here. We could go, you know. Uh, if there were an entity like Greater Hartford, Greater New Haven, it could make a much stronger case for companies like Amazon or, or, or others, or for just internal economic growth, coupled with programs to reach the struggling neighborhoods would, would help them out. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, but the idea of regional economic growth, I think is the big thing that's being missed by, by having all, these, all, all of these local towns. What happens here all the time you know, a company will come in and um, want to locate somewhere in, in central Connecticut, say, and you know, towns will fight with each other over it. Well, that's counterproductive, and, and not to mention stupid. You know, that, it's just a waste of time, and it doesn't do any good. Now, how could you get out of that? What some metros do is simply share the tax revenue, which is a regional a regional effort. So, so the business comes in, you know, uh, you know, Acme Tool and Die, and you say, Acme, here's a region. Go to the place that makes the best sense for you. You need to be near the airport. 
you know, go to Windsor Locks. You need to be near the train station. You know, go to Berlin. Go, you know, whatever. And then, and then, uh, and then, the towns in the region share the property tax revenue. Minneapolis has been doing this for years. It works great. Well, and, and the other piece of that too is is if you have a workforce that needs to come from a specific place, maybe you build in a place where the transportation infrastructure allows them to get to that job, which is another part of the planning that you can do if you think about it regionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. So-called transit-oriented development, <laughs> TOD. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I mean, as we said before, it's key for workers in, in struggling neighborhoods to be able to get to jobs. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's been one of the reasons the, the busway uh, between New Britain and Hartford has been successful. There are workplaces along the busway. People can get to them. Good sign. Tom Condon helped to put together this big series on inclusive economic growth, which is debuting today in the Connecticut Mirror. You can read these stories starting today at ctmirror.org. Tom, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for the series, and we'll be following along as you report on inclusive economic growth. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. We'll have more conversations about inclusive economic growth and how it can help Connecticut recover from the pandemic here on Steady Habits. I'd also like to invite you to a conversation we're having to preview the upcoming election. You can join us on Zoom October 21st at 7 p.m. I'll be joined by Mark Pazniokas, the Bureau Chief of the Connecticut Mirror, Kalila Brown-Dean, Quinnipiac University political science professor who's got a very cool new show on WNPR, and Liz Karanowitz, a Republican political strategist and a panelist on Capitol Report on WTNH. To sign up, go to ctmirror.org events. Hope to see you there. Thanks to Jessica Friedman, Kyle Constable, Bruce Potterman, and Beth Hamilton. Our steady beats are provided by George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson and are recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. I'm John Dankosky, and thanks for joining us.